Alrighty, welcome to the Celtic Slab podcast. I am your host, Cameron Teptabai, joined by Dr. Justin Quinn. Alex is on the shelf. He is under the weather, but our intro music from Divine Sweater, Alex plays bass for that band. They have new music, so go check it out. In a few moments, Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston is going to join us, and he's going to talk to us about postseason rotations, regular season rotations, and really what's going on with uh, Boston's depth chart. Between now and then, Justin, you and I are going to talk about the news, and the news is grim. So let's just do a temperature check. Where are you at with the Celtics? Happy that I missed yesterday's game to spend some time with my wife on her birthday. Yeah, that's. I'm so sorry. That, that seems pleasant. Um, I'm sure people who are listening are aware Boston's dropped the past three games. They've coughed up double-digit leads in all three of those games, including 28 points for the Nets. Um, Three overtimes in two nights is a lot. Um, It's just been a slog. It seems like it's been very ugly, although I would hazard that if you you peel the onion a little bit, it's not as bad as all that. Um, One thing that's been bothering me about overreaction theater is we spent so much time at the beginning of the season saying, this is not statistically significant. We are not seeing trends that we can back up with data. Let's wait. And we're finally at a point in the season where we have good data on these teams, where we've seen a long runway of what they look like when they're healthy, when they're not, when they play like this, when they play like that. And now we're just honing in on these three games. And granted, they're so dramatic, these three games, that they are impressively disappointing, but they're not statistically significant. They don't I disagree because if you go back to the beginning of last season and beyond, we saw a very similar style of play, right? The ongoing debate about Mozilla ball, and we can talk about this a little bit more later, is that there's more than one kind of it. There's the functional kind and the good kind. And we've been seeing the functional kind combined with that style of play that devolves into ISO ball that is impatient, unorganized, scrambling. It's a very similar pattern we've seen over and over again. So that's why people are freaking out. I agree with you that in the recent time period that we're we're speaking about, we have seen that they know how to get out of it. The concerning part for me, and it's not that big of concern, it's not the sky is falling like some people, but the, the concern for me is that it keeps happening. If it stops happening from here on out, or maybe only happens one more time this season, I think it's not going to be so concerning, but the problem is that it keeps happening and they should and do know how to make it stop. Yeah, I guess for me, I was talking about this with um, Jack Simone of Celtics blog is, you know, at least for someone my age, we went from the big three Celtics era where they could do no wrong to the Heatles, to the Warriors, that our expectation for greatness as Celtics fans is uh, wrong. The teams aren't supposed to be generationally good. They're supposed to be very good. And the Celtics team is as good as any other team in the league right now. There's no great, great, great team. Watching the Bucks, watching the Nuggets, watching the Warriors, watching the Suns, they're incredibly flawed. They've all had mega uh, bed pooping incidences <laughs> to, to frame it one way. And so, I don't know, there's an element here where I just don't think that the expectations on the Celtics are reasonable. I agree that the trend line for they shoot too many threes and don't know what to do with that is consistent. I just, I don't think it's coming to a head in this moment. I think on the the back half of a back-to-back where three starters are out, that they even went to overtime against Cleveland is pretty impressive. And the Knicks are interesting because without Jalen Brunson, they become a defensive beast. 
And if quickly is going to have the game of his life, sometimes you got to just tip your cap. So I don't know. I just, I, where I'm at with the Celtics right now is that I feel very happy that they're getting healthy before the postseason, that they're ironing through some kinks before the postseason. Um, and I feel bad that they're taking their lumps, but I'd rather they take them now than they take them in April and May. So yeah. that's where the, that's kind of where the news is at. Um, do you want to talk about the Grant Williams free throws at all? Uh, let's just say that Grant should accomplish more personally, not as a team, but personally before he smack talks. He, I've heard people say, well, what was he supposed to say? You're supposed to say nothing and make the shots. That's all I have to say. It's unfortunate it happened to him, but in the grand scheme of things, no one's going to remember this in two weeks if he plays well. Which he did play well. He was four for five from three. The team's not in a position to win the game if he does if he's not there to get the rebound to get fouled. Uh, I know you didn't watch. If you watched this game, this was a, a man holding back tears for 20 minutes in public because after those free throws, he looked haunted. And of course, of course. I mean, he was basically in an impossible situation. Uh, he reacted like probably I would have, many of us would have, uh, particularly with someone, you know, talking smack very, very publicly. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think the whole grant referendum that's been going on is particularly helpful to the Celtics. They can't do anything about his situation. Uh, the only thing they can do is play the games that are in front of him. And this Celtics team is very, very less likely to win a championship if he isn't playing well. So we want him to play better. We want him to hopefully earn a better, better contract than he's probably looking at, like uh, they're betting on himself and then playing like this. Uh, whatever's going on with him, uh, you know, it's not the first time he's had, you know, like a mental block that's affecting his performance on the court. I mean, he started that way with three pointers. So at least for me personally, uh, the referendum on Grant is that he has shown us that he's a very good player who is a valuable member of a team in the past, and I expect him to be in the future. Once whatever is going on, whether it's in his head, his body, a combination of thereof, once that's over, uh, I think that people will recalibrate their understanding of how valuable he is as a player uh, in the same sort of a way that it will recalibrate what he will be looking at in terms of earning in his next deal, which is my theory on what's going on in his head right now. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think he so clearly has the yips. And and I think that's the biggest concern for me with the Celtics is they're still younger. And I think last year that they got spooked and that's why they lost. And so I, I do worry that the moment could still be too big for them. Um, that that's kind of... My concern with Missoula Ball is you have to have real stones to execute it. Um, and that doing it... I often I say to my students, don't do this half-assed, use your whole ass. And if if you do it half-ass, then it just looks like you're launching threes because the shot clock is winding down and that you're not seeking out the better three. Or you're just um, shooting it in the beginning of the shot clock and you never get it back again. You run the other way because, you know, the other team's going to transition like lots of teams are and it's really burning them. Yeah. That's the thing is that I think it's easy to say Missoula ball works when the shots fall and it doesn't work when the shots don't fall. I think a more nuanced point of view is when they find the right shots. Anyways, uh, we're gonna welcome Chris Forsberg into the action um, to, I guess, talk about this, but more importantly, talk about postseason rotations and the end of the season rotations. But first, let me talk to you about our friends over at betonline.ag, your number one source for all your sports betting this season. 
with everything from pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, NHL, and more. At betonline.ag, you'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. And with live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device today to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive that reward at betonline.ag, where the game starts. Alrighty, Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston, come on down. Alrighty, as promised, Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston is here through the magic of editing. He just arrived onto your screen or into your ears. <laughs> just dropped in. Yeah, Chris, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm sorry that you uh, you lined up this podcast. I always feel bad when I jump on in the midst of like the most depressing 96 hours in Celtics history. But uh, we will persevere through it and uh, find some positive spins. Okay, well, I was going to ask for your your temperature take take on the room, but um, I th- I think I know your answer. Can you yeah give us ninety seconds on where the Celtics are at? Yeah, so I'll admit, like even before this little stretch, I was a little worried. I think you just look at, I mean, the date I keep going back to is December tenth and the Golden State game, and sort of the offense not falling off a cliff, but just being, eh, meh, middle of the road, like however you want to describe it. And uh, so I've had some concerns. You know, they were really good at the start of the year. Uh, the vibes were probably a little too good in that stretch and you knew they were going to come back to earth a little bit. Uh, the problem is now as you come out of the all-star break and Tatum slumps a little bit and the defense erodes a little bit, I'm not, you know, after games, I might seem full blown 10 on the panic meter, but you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the moment. And, uh, I just think there's some stuff for this team to work on as everybody, I guess the thing that I, I go back to is like last year, I felt really good about this team because of the way they closed out the second half. And right now, there's a lot to still figure out. And so it's okay if we're just like, I'm, I don't know how this is going to go the last 16 and into the playoffs, but I know it's in them to to still get to where they, they want to go. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. I mean, they went to the finals last year. They get a little bit more slack, I think. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the final 16 games, Missoula has kind of admitted he's still tinkering with the rotation. And, you know, this team's really deep, so it's not clear who plays when which is why, Chris, we were hoping to pick your brain about all of that stuff. Perfect. Um, and I guess we kind of have to diagnose the problem before we really jump in. So you teased it a little bit, but Justin, I'll, I'll fold you into this as well. I think it's worth wondering what these struggles are all about, whether it's you know the opponents that they're playing, whether they're playing too much, the Celtics are playing too much, if the rotations are just flat out incorrect, if it's Missoula ball or something else. So Chris, I'll go to you first. If you had to diagnose the problem, what do you think is the chief or top two concerns. So I would think, you know, and, and some of it is maybe I'm just looking too much at the post all-star numbers and focusing on that. Um, but like one, the competition has been very good. I think you do need to start there that, Hey, this is like playoff caliber teams. And yet Celtics have usually played their best basketball against playoff caliber teams. And, you know, the net's notwithstanding uh, they, sh- they should have performed better against, um, New York and it was a little disappointing to let that one get away. I thought that was the most disappointing of the bunch just because, you know, that, that one mattered and you should, were coming off the disappointment against the Nets. Um, but when I look at it, I think two things, I think two things headline it. Marcus Smart hasn't been himself since coming back from injury and the, you know, assist rate is, is way down. I think it was a 28.8 for the first half of the season now down to like 17.8. Um, and so sometimes I think Marcus just needs to remember 
when he's his best version of himself. And I think that goes for a lot of guys, but, you know, just especially when your offense is middling and you need to kind of find that groove again. And so not to put too much of it on Marcus, because I don't think it's all on him, but sometimes he needs to be the guy that kind of reels everybody in and gets this thing going and makes life easier for everybody. So uh, I need him to sort of find that old Marcus mojo. And then let's just, just face it. Like Tatum, I think is minus 43 for the post all-star break. Tatum is never in the negative and to see him be in the negative for a 275 minute span is jarring. And so, uh, you know, that's what, uh, that's why when people, whenever we freak out about this stuff, I say we're one Tatum hot streak away from everything being, you know, we're getting the duck boats ready again, because that's just how it goes when your superstar is playing at a superstar level, it looks great. And so, uh, that's oversimplifying everything. Uh, the defense needs to be better. There's all like a whole bunch of million different little things I can focus on. Uh, the, we'll, we'll get into the rotation stuff. I don't, I, I have no clue what the bench rotation <laughs> is right now. And so th- that would be nice to to be smoothed out over the final 16 games. And I don't know how much we're going to learn though. Cause like, because of injuries, because of resting guys on second nights of back to back. So uh, another long winded way of saying there's a lot of things at play, but a lot of it can be alleviated if uh some of your best players just get back to playing the way we know they can play sure uh, dr quinn not that kind of doctor but um give us your prognosis <laughs> uh, my prognosis is if they can play the good version of missoula ball i alluded to earlier in the podcast how there are two versions the version where they just whip it around the perimeter and not much really happens besides that on offense uh or the version where they you know get into the paint, get paint touches, attack the rim, and then move the ball around that way and kick out to open shooters. Uh, I think Tom Westerholm uh, mentioned this on Twitter the other day where he differentiated between taking a lot of threes and generating threes. And I think the latter type of ball play, because they aren't doing that and because we know they can, we've been freaking out. But I'm pretty confident that if they choose to, unless there's some strange mental block going on, that they can play that way. So I'm not super worried yet as long as we keep seeing them return to this mozilla ball you know slumps whether it's the team slumping or grant slumping it's going to happen right so the question is how do they respond and i think we are getting close to the real panic zone if this could keep continuing yeah chris the, the point that you raised about smart is it's almost like a third rail at this point but Derek white was a more effective uh, complimentary piece to the starters uh, when Smart was out than Smart is being right now. I don't know that there's like the the political will to make that change, but I, I am curious about that one. I'd also hazard that the defense isn't as good. And last season, the Celtics only went to the finals because of their defense. The offense got hot at times, but it was mm-hmm. functionally mediocre for a good team. It was nothing to write home about. I mean, maybe Tatum got hot now and again, but it was the defense again and again and again. And the defense has not inspired in the same way. I think kind of on an individual basis, sometimes it's a little too switch heavy. Sometimes I think that they almost functionally double team because they switch too much. Um, but I also just feel like I'm seeing a lot of guys, Jalen Brown in particular, getting blown by. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that's a, a fixed thing. Maybe you lock in for the postseason, but I am worried that when push is coming to shove, the defense is, is kind of laying down. So on that happy note, <laughs> and, and and but I'm with you, and I, I don't know what these the, there is no simple answer, right? Like I think it's it's dangerous when your solution, and rightfully so, is just when the games matter the most, the team will figure it out, and they'll just ratchet it up a little bit, and that could happen. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I I I keep going back to it. Some of their best basketball is coming against 
their best opponents. And so this team clearly, and once you've been there, there's always sort of this, all right, you know, and I don't want to say pacing yourself because this certainly isn't pacing. It's just, you know, when you kind of have to, to throw it up a level and if you eliminate a bad possession from each of these three games, do you, do you win all of them? Maybe, you know, like probably not in that yeah. Nets game, but in the other two, if you know, a lot of things could variance and, and, and get you to the finish line. So, um, but ultimately I'm with you is that my biggest concern throughout all of this is even when they were winning ugly, it sort of masked some bigger issues. And to me, the defense is, is chief among them. I just, it's weird. Like when Missoula got hired, I kept asking guys about him. They're like, Oh, you know, Derek White says, when I first got here last year, they sent me to Joe Missoula and said, you know, he'll tell you everything about what you need to know about this defense. And yet Missoula ball has been just built around offense and chucking threes and Joe's love of analytics and, and all that. And so I keep wondering when we're going to start focusing a little bit on getting back to what was the identity of the team that got to the finals and what is the root of that issue. And as it does, it come down to just, everyone has to be a little bit better, but you know, I, I thought, thought I was telling we were for, for Celtics post up tonight, we were looking at, um, you know, the holding it on the defense for a little bit. And I said, I went back and looked and for Raptor, which is, you know, like all these metrics have various, you know, flaws in them, but just wanted to see like in the defensive Raptor, like how did the Celtics perform last year? And they had three guys in the top 20, Derek White, Al Horford and Robert Williams. And so, you know, and Marcus Smart isn't even in there because as usual, like numbers can't always quantify like how good Smart is, but he was still like, you know, right on the edge of top 50. This year they have one in the top 50. So not even like, not only do they lose, you know, three others in the top 50, but like, you know, essentially it, it, Derek White is the only guy in there. And I think we, if we were going to pick a guy who's been anywhere near all defense level, it's been Derek White blocking shots and just doing all the Derek White stuff. Does everyone else just need to sort of pick it up a little bit more? Or is this, is there a larger root issue of why this defense has not been as crisp? And it's weird to say, because they're fourth in the NBA overall, even with this last two weeks being completely suck fest on the defensive end. And yet, um, I just feel like they have to to figure out how to dial that in because you have to be able to lean on something in the playoffs. And I don't think you can if you're gonna if it's if 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 you're just leaning on making three point shots, that's way more dangerous. Yeah, for, for a little bit we flirted with like, oh, is Tatum gonna be all defense? Mm. And that that kind of went away. Smart, I don't think is hundred percent. I mean, smart just has taken such a beating as of late. Of course he's not hundred percent. Maybe Al has lost 10% of a step and maybe Rob Williams is still getting getting right. And so death by a thousand paper cuts on the defensive end. I don't really know. Um, but to your point, yeah, the, the analytics say it's, it's good enough, but the eye test, I think, disagrees. Um, let's, let's pivot a little bit and kind of dial into this rotation business. And rather than construct a rotation, which is not really a great, you know, uh, challenge for a podcast, we'll just kind of talk about who's playing enough and who's not playing enough. So let's start at the top. Um, Forsberg, and then I'll go to you, Justin. Is Jason Tatum playing too much, too little, or just the right amount of? I guess this is the Goldilocks game now. Um, just the yeah. right amount of minutes. Um, so I know we've spent most of the year saying he's playing too much. Um, I guess when he's not on the floor, I think I always sit there and say, "Man, I really wish Jason Tatum was out there." <laughs> you know, especially nights like Cleveland. So, um, as long as he is comfortable with the minutes that he's playing and believes it is sustainable and not going to impact him deeper into the playoffs, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I would like Joe to sometimes be the adult in the room that says like, okay, you know, we don't need to chase 40 points tonight. Let's get you out of there with five minutes to go in the fourth instead of a minute 58 or whatever it was a couple weeks ago. 
Um, you know, but Joe is is a player's coach and definitely trying to to help his guys in that regard. So uh, I, I would say it it it's it's teetering on too much, and yet, like I start looking now, and it's going to be a race over the final sixteen games to either stay where you are at the two seed or whatever. So I, I'm not sure there's going to be any change in uh in what Jason Tatum is playing. Okay, Doctor Quinn. Uh, I kind of agree if. Tatum takes a couple of games. There's at least three or four games where the Celtics should be able to win, whether he plays or not. If he sits at least one or two of those games, I think it gets a little bit more rest in before the end of the season. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be playing as much as he's comfortable as well. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm more worried about his wrist than I'm supposed to be because no one else seems worried about his wrist. Um, so I'm happy with his minutes, but. Uh, if you know they get bounced early and we find out that he has wrist surgery over the summer, I don't think I'd be so shocked. Um, but mm. please, no one run with that. That's kind of my personal perspective. Okay, Jalen Brown, Chris, too much, too little, or just right? I think I, I'm going to go just right. You know, same deal. Like I don't love 135 minutes over the last three games when you go over yeah. three, and that's that's less than ideal. Uh, it was it was hard watching him go 48 against the Knicks and then having to play whatever it ended up being. What was it, 46 last night? 41? Something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, what, what it, it, but this is the predicament that you put yourself in by like losing some of these games. So I think in general, I'm okay with Jalen's minutes. Uh, you know, unfortunately this, this, the confluence of this week is, 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 uh, probably made it so that I, if they can buy him a day off here and I'm not really sure where Houston, I don't know, uh, then that would be nice just to, just to make sure he's okay. Yeah. He got clocked. I can't believe he's playing with a broken face just because some right. of these games are so physical. Um, Dr. Quinn. Only thing I would add to that, if there's even the tiniest hint of tendinopathy or hamstring issues, mm. get some rest. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel the same way that um, I don't know why, but I feel like Jalen does need a day or two to just like reset his body. But clearly, that's not the case. Um, okay, we won't do all the players, but let's let's keep it with the starters, anyways. Al Horford, too many minutes, Ooh. not enough minutes, or just right. And I think it's worth pausing and saying. However tough this stretch has been, it could have been worse because Al Horford has saved their asses a few times <laughs> over the past few weeks. It's so true. And it's funny you said, because like, unfortunately, you know, I, I try and I try not to focus on the negative. I think we do a good, pretty good job, or at least I try to do a pretty good job of focusing on the positive on most of our shows. Um, you know, I do think there's been a little bit of a defensive regression. It feels like teams are at least a little bit more willing to kind of go at Al and, um, you know, but you know, on the on the same token, every time I I start thinking that playoff Al's a different beast, and he kind of goes up. I don't know what, but I, like I don't have it in front of me with the total minutes that Al is playing right now. I suspect it's is under thirty, uh, except for on any given night, it could be quite high. Right, but I'm, I'm wondering. I'm just wondering for the average of the of the whole season, and the fact that he's getting the second nights of back to back is, um, you know, is enough for me to think like even if he plays 34 on a game or 38 in a game, as much as I don't love that number for a 36 or 37 year old guy, uh, you know, he's fine. And like, so because he's getting his rest and spots, I'm, I'm fine with whatever they need to lean on Al in these instances. I mean, I'm, I'm almost tempted to say I could take it even a touch more Al right now while your big situation, especially while Rob is out, if, if needed. Not to sound like a broken record, but I mean, I also pretty much agree. And he's going to be taking the back-to-backs off what, what few are left. Uh, I think 
he, I think it was Eddie House, your coworker, who said that he is gearing up the playoffs now, and it looks like yeah. it, right? So I don't want to suggest anything that would change that. Uh, he knows his body, obviously, very well at this point. So if he's comfortable, I am for it. Yeah, again, I think he's the the North Star right now. Um, smart, if he's going to play point guard, needs to be the stabilizing force. And I think he's still figuring that out a little bit. So uh, I don't think, I think down the stretch, I don't really care if the Celtics go nuts, but, um, or if they like pack it up and just get ready for the postseason. But I think Horford needs to be out there when it matters. So whatever that mm-hmm. looks like, please uh, prioritize that. Okay. Justin is screaming in our chat. Time Lord. <laughs> I love it. Um, Chris, what do you think of Robert Williams uh, appetite for minutes right now? Yeah. So obviously, and I'm, I, as much as I would love to keep it as about how many minutes he's playing when he is on the court. Uh, I just need as much time Lord as I can get. I think the maybe one of the biggest storylines has been there have just been long stretches of the season where he hasn't looked himself. And some of that's understandable. He's coming back from a second knee surgery. You know, he's gotten dinged up a couple of times. What was it, the ankle at one point and mm-hmm. now the hamstring? So I would like to, you know, I have to go to the other extreme now and say probably the most important thing for the Celtics is to make sure that Rob is somewhere close to what he can be in the playoffs. And so if you have to, tread cautiously over the final 16 games. And I'd rather they pick their spots there than like irrationally try and just think like, oh, these guys need minutes to to figure out how to play. No, they know how to play together. Like last year just showed they'll figure it out. It's been disappointing that they haven't as quickly uh, in this new era kind of tapped into that. But I, I still believe like as much of anything that that can figure itself out in the postseason. And, uh, you know, so I would say, it, it, as much as I want to see Rob out there as much as possible, um, you know, the fewer minutes that you can ensure, whatever the right number is that the sports science people tell Joe Mazzulla to get him upright in the playoffs, then so be it. I was really looking for some scintillating podcasting where we disagree, but yet again, <laughs> uh, I can't say too much. I will say the incredibly controversial thing that I think that at least for the immediate future, he should be coming off the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. Derek White should be starting and closing games. I think he helps get them off to a good start. I think that he has shown himself, at least for now, been a better force for a closing type of in- environment. Uh, I think he makes better decisions. Uh, I think he gets other players involved more. And I think that, as you said, keeping Rob fresh for the for the postseason is the most important thing. Uh, they're going to need to see what the what the best five lineup is. It may not be the same best five lineup it was under Ime Adoka. So we should, you know, temper expectations, give him a little bit of time to tinker while Rob is out to see how Derek can fit into this lineup uh, with him in it in the future as he comes back. So I don't disagree at all. Uh, I just think that some people might look at this as a demotion and I don't think that it will be. I think it's actually for the same reason he makes less money you want to make sure you preserve him uh because you don't want the reason why they paid him so little because they're worried that he could become and you know there's there's even hints we've seen that he's not you know quite as bouncy as he was is this because he isn't conditioned is he because he's being cautious could be a combination of all these things i don't know but we're gonna find out yeah again it's also unpopular especially with forsberg on the pod but i also would take him off the bench um, I think if Missoula ball were forging ahead with that going five wide matters. And I think preserving time Lords uh, precious conditioning matters. And then I still, I don't think there's enough time left in the schedule for this to come out, but 
a Brogdon Time Lord pick and roll. I mean, if there's not going to be pick and roll among the starting five, having that off the bench just as a different look and kind of a stabilizing force for the defense is interesting to me. I don't think they have enough time to kind of showcase that, but in my heart of hearts, I do wonder. It, it's weird for me to, to 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 sit here and and be okay with the idea of Rob not being <laughs> a starter, uh, and yet, I mean, the, as someone who falls back on the data, it's undeniable. Like the the starting line at the at the start of the year had more sizzle because when they have more space right now, they they thrive. And it was like you could tell there was some reintegration process with Rob and and learning to play that way again. So. Um, maybe it'll be matchup dependent. If you get the Cavs in round two, do you go double big? And, you know, maybe you're leaning on size more in that instance. But um, I also can't sit here and say that more Derek minute, more Derek White minutes overall is a bad thing, especially when it's been flabbergasting that he hasn't played uh, as much as he probably should in, in crunch time and overtime situations. Which is a good segue. I, I've spent this entire time not really sure how to ask this question because we haven't talked about Smart's minutes but we flirted with maybe they should be less or not even starters minutes at times. We have hinted that Derek, Derek White needs more minutes. We haven't really talked about Brogdon or Grant, um, but presumably they all need to see the floor and, and good chunk. So let me try to ask it this way, Chris, who is your preferred fifth starter? Who's your preferred mm-hmm. first guy off the bench? And then what do you do with the other two guys? Um, and since I gave you a weird question, I'll, I'll let you think a little bit longer and try to answer it myself. Um, <laughs> again, I think politically smart needs to start. I think for the culture that matters. Um, but goodness, I think Derek has really earned a second and third and fourth look. Um, I suspect Derek is a consummate pro and he understands and he could come off the bench as the 10th guy and be just as good, but that might be me profiling a former Spurs player. So I don't really know. Um, <laughs> It's going to be really tough. I hope Joe has their ear because some nights Brogdon might be the, the guy who needs to close games because they need the shooting and the poise. Um, sometimes it's got to be Derek because they need the, the length. Um, and then in, in my heart and soul, I hope it's Marcus because you know what? They give him three corner threes at the end of that Cleveland game. And he, I mean, um, yeah, the Cleveland game and he hit one of them, which mm-hmm. is the Marcus smart experience, I suppose. So <laughs> there's my non-answer, but hopefully Chris, I stalled long enough. What do yeah. you do with this this quartet? It's it's so funny. I think, and I, I like I'm I'm one of those guys who doesn't love the idea of being matchup dependent. But if you can get away with going and and having both Derek and Marcus in the starting lineup and treading cautiously with Rob in round one, like I'm not opposed to that. And um, I think Derek has earned the right to be on the floor as much as possible. Now, if it comes down to like which guard am I playing, I, I'm with you. Like I don't even think it's political. I think like. Marcus was really good at the start of the year. Like as, as, as he really tapped into the same thing that we saw for a good chunk of last season and f- throughout his career, where when he f- focuses on just playmaking and defense, he's awesome. And when he steps outside of that, that's when you need to be ready with the sort of, okay, it's a Malcolm night. It's a Derek night, whatever, you know, and you got to trade cautiously with that. It's, it's weird though at the end of games, because when smart was out in that stretch, I kept saying, you know, Celtics really miss Marcus smart. And for every three-pointer that he launches that makes you want to launch the remote through the TV, he does something crazy. And, like, that, if he had tipped that play in last night when Grant missed that second free throw, yeah. like, <laughs> the internet would have broke because we all would have been insufferable. And it's Marcus Smart, winning plays, all the stuff he does. Uh, and, yet it, you know, not the way the night went for the Celtics, it, it was the complete opposite. And Smart had 
13 bad shots probably in that game where he just kind of launched. And so I hope Marcus can dial in and then that makes the discussion a little easier. Um, I hope one thing over the final games, if Rob isn't going to play a whole lot, I would like to see them just kind of experiment more with three guards. I don't, yeah. I don't know how much they've done it this year. It felt, it felt jarring when it, when it happened the other night, like, okay, I don't feel like I've seen this a whole lot. And it's, a, it was sort of a moment. And I, I don't even know what the data says. And I'm now I'm kind of going to go punch around when, when you guys are talking, but um, like figure it out. Like the, the ultimate key is to have your best players on the court and to have the versatility to match up with whatever you think is going to create the best opportunity. And I, maybe there's nights where that that's it. And uh, you know, credit, but the, the, the bigger picture too, to what you said is credit to Derek who has never once griped about the fact that he had played a third of the crunch time minutes of this season, which is just absurd. And credit to Malcolm for, you know, when he got here, I, I, he kept saying like, yeah, I'm going to embrace that six man run. I'm like, yeah, that's easy to say. And then you get into the mm-hmm. season and you're like, this sucks. I want to play a ton of minutes and I'm good. I'm better than these guys. Let me play. And to his credit, even as they've gone out of their way to keep him in that six man role, he is, he's been, you know, perfectly content with it. So uh, as long as they're happy, then Joe uh, hopefully can, can, pick and choose as he wants. Well, Dr. You to that. Uh, I do think that it's fair to point out that the bad version of Missoula ball kind of just cuts Marcus out of the picture. He's just kind of standing around while other people bring the ball up the court. And then he just, you know, launches it when he finally does get a chance to touch it. I think that there, there were some concerns about how Malcolm Brogdon was being used that were fair earlier in the season. I feel like, Joe has really managed to get those minutes down and uses him well at this point. Uh, as to the whole, you know, Derek starting next to Smart, I think also that that is an interesting uh, possibility. I don't see any reason why it won't work against most matchups. And the only other thing that I would add to any of this is they they really need to give some parts of the bench, particularly uh sam hauser a little bit more burned than he's been getting just because of the fact that if they don't know what they have very very soon they're not going to have any chance to figure it out and it just won't really be available and i'm just gonna i'm gonna bomb in real quick because I, I looked it up so 109 minutes with three guards and of course minus 1.83 rating so i you know i don't know what you can pull from 100 minutes although you know we, we make big assumptions about this starting five and in, in less than that uh, offensive rating is awesome, 123.8, but uh, they've given up a ton of points with three guards, which makes me wonder if just teams were exploiting the size out there, despite those guys all being good defenders. And of course, you go look at, you start, I'm looking at the combinations and it's like Smart and White together, plus 10.76, even with Brogdon off the court. Derek White is just plus 14 overall, like in being without the other two guards out there. Uh, so the common thread, at least on uh, looking at the quick matrix, is just Derek White does good things. Play Derek White as much as possible. So while we're on the subject of guards playing well, let's transition to our, our last segment really, really quick, because we wanted to ask you, Chris, about Jalen Brown is all NBA case. Um, and Jalen's been playing great. He deservedly made an all-star team. Um, it has huge cap implications, yeah. which Justin, you just wrote about for Celtics Wire. I'm sure a lot of people have written about it too. Um, Let me just not correct that because I wrote about what Yossi, friend of the pod, wrote about Yossi Gosling yeah. of Hoops Hype. Uh, but I digress. Continue. No, sure. If if ever I say anything smart about capology, it's because I asked Yossi <laughs> about it. Um, so Chris, Jalen perhaps is in line to make one of these six all NBA guard positions. 
Um, but let me read you a list of guards. And uh, yeah. part of why this is such a good transition is many of these guards play in the East, and that's going to be you know problematic for the Celtics in the postseason as well. But if Jalen is going to make an all-NBA team, he's got to join uh, five of these guys. DeMar DeRozan, Doncic, Anthony Edwards, which is just fun to say out loud, um, De'Aaron Fox, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Tyrese Halliburton, Drew Holiday, who has been playing like a beast and gives me great pause for the postseason. Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, also a beast, also scary in the postseason. John Morant and Justin, we don't have it on our list, but I'm going to add James Harden, sure. who has been going nuts and also makes uh, a Swiss cheese defense in the backcourt a little scary for Boston. <laughs> Anyways, Chris, where are you at with Jalen Brown's all NBA candidates? Because I'm, I'm guilty of talking about it a lot, and then you kind of sit down like you did and, and do the exercise, and it gets a little bit tougher to, to see where it is, especially because I mean, Jalen's interesting because he he fits into that sort of guard forward role, and you know we're so obsessed with the the positions on these All NBA teams and the whole center thing, and so you know because the centers get spread out instead of just putting one out in the forward, it probably compromises space on these teams. So I don't know, I don't know what the what the right answer is here. All I know is it's you know, he's fighting for one of the last spots. He certainly deserves to be in that conversation. I think one of the things that will conspire against them is that, you know, games like that last night, no Tatum. And it's just, they still struggle to win as good as Jalen can be. Sometimes it feels like even when he has his bigger nights, that the team still isn't as, as easy to win when, as if Tatum has a big night. Not, you know, so, there's so much variance in that, that it's, yeah, I'm not going to get too worked up about it, but I do think it matters. It'd be a lot easier to be like, oh, every time Jalen Brown scores 35 points, the Celtics win. Now, every time Tatum and Brown score 30 points, they win, except for that one Cleveland game. So, you know, you can certainly make a case, uh, but I do think it's going to be close. Um, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about the whole John Morant situation. And like, if that's snowballs, does that create a little opp- more, more opportunity uh, for Jalen? But just because of the magnitude of what it means to this team, um, I really hope J- Jalen finishes strong and gives voters a reminder. And that's part of the reason that, like, it, it kind of sucks, you know, and not sucks because I'm supposed to be an impartial journalist. But um, mm-hmm. if you're if you're thinking about, like, Celtics being in the mix for all these different awards and, you know, I think we just all thought Joe was going to cruise to the coach of the year and, uh, you know, Brogdon would be sixth man of the year. And pretty much all of those have been thrown in the flux with, this little baby slump because now quickly is in the six man of the year conversation. We start looking at what the Kings are doing. And, you know, I felt like the Celtics had to finish first in the East for a lot of these things to sort of be in play. And so I'll be interested to see exactly where Boston finishes. And if just, you know, again, does this little rough patch force voters who are irrationally tied to recency bias um, to just think, think a little too hard about who deserves to be in these spots. Yeah, what's tough for Boston is, you're so right, all of this is so narrative-based, and there's just enough time for Boston to rewrite the script and for Jalen to showcase his stuff and yada, yada, yada. After Wednesday, Boston's going to go on their their longest road trip of the season, tied for the longest road trip of the season. So if they're going to write the ship and rewrite the narrative, they have to do it on the road, which, hey, if if they can cut the mustard, then they can do it on the road, but we will see. Dr. Quinn... Given that list and given that commentary, where are you at with Jalen's All-NBA candidacy? I'm probably a little more comfortable than you guys that he'll make it. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on some of these narratives. Uh, I hadn't thought about the John narrative. That's actually, that could be huge for Jalen in the long run. And really huge for us Celtics fans because we didn't quite mention this, but basically the idea is that 
if he can get this all NBA uh, nomination, he will be eligible for the Supermax, which will not make Wick Grosbeck particularly happy from a financial uh, perspective, but probably very happy from a fan perspective because no one would be able to touch that offer. Uh, even if there was another team out there that was you know, competing for titles right now that could sign him, which is a pretty dubious prospect given the way the cap works, they're not going to be able to give him that much money. So this is the, really the reason why we're all hoping for this. And he just has to make a All-NBA team. It's not the first. Yeah. Right. Um, so I guess to be a little bit of a rain cloud, I think that Luca is a lock. I think that Donovan Mitchell is a lock. I think Drew is a lock. And I think Dame Lillard is a lock. So, oh, okay. There's a little pushback for the YouTube crowd. You saw it. A pushback on the Dame one. Um, okay. So I guess we can put a pin in it and say that we don't have enough data yet because there's just enough of the season to be played out. Um, but it's going to be tight. Um, and certainly if Jalen, you know, is on the outside looking in, it's nothing he did. It's that there's a lot of talented guards in the NBA right now. Yeah. And, and that was more my grimace. My grimace is like when you go through and do the exercise, it's like, oh, yeah, there's just a ton of talented players out there. And it gets hard as we start. shoot. Like we're just trying to shoehorn guys in. We're like, well, well what does it matter about position? You know, like, let's just get this guy on an all NBA team. And uh, that's going to be the hard part is just when voters sit down to, to sort of digest it all, I hope. They sort of look at the totality and, and really the strides like, you know, I, I know that's not this isn't most improved, but um, when you look at how far Jalen scoring has come and what he's done. Uh, but, hey, it's also on Jalen to, to tighten up some of the things uh, down the stretch of the season. Both him and Tatum got to be better with the basketball, keep the playmaking improving. And so uh, if they want those awards and to be in those those conversations uh, and more so Jalen, obviously, because of the ramifications, but uh, finish strong. Yeah, it's a good pep talk. I mean. Ant Edwards, De'Aaron Fox, Shea, and Halliburton making an all-NBA team. It's like, dang, the NBA is so talented. Um, but really so, are the crazy. Boston, so are the Boston Celtics, and hopefully they they finish strong, and maybe they won't. Who's to say? Uh, Mr. Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston, thank you for once again coming on the Celtics Lab podcast, and will I see you Wednesday? Uh, I am not sure. Some, and every night's a new uh, adventure when uh, I'm trying to figure out where I will be stationed. Uh, if you don't, I, I will be down in Atlanta and then Houston. And so I will see this. I will actually get to see this team up close uh, a little bit more than I have when I'm in the studio. All right. Well, maybe I'll see you on Wednesday. And if not, there you go. enjoy the road. I will be here teaching. Um, but <laughs> if not, once again, thanks for stopping by. Dr. Quinn, pleasure as always. And like and subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. Adios.